Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 1, beginning of verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. In looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You may be seated. Two weeks ago, I stated how important it was when you are writing a book to um, make sure of of your introduction, the importance of how you're going to introduce the book to to gain the, the reader's desire to continue to read. The... John has, has done that and has drawn us into reading. The next thing that, as you're um, writing a book, that you want to focus on is how you introduce your primary characters. Um, first impressions are lasting impressions. And so as you read a book, generally speaking, in the, the, the first chapter, they're introducing co- sort of the theme and the idea of what the book's going to be about. But normally you're also introduced to one of the main characters, if not the major character of the book. Um, They're going to introduce somebody who's important um, throughout it. John does the same thing as he's writing his book um, here. We're going to be introduced to four of Jesus' first disciples. I meant to mention that, show the slide, that uh, how John does introduce his, his purpose, and we see... Um, Jesus, as well, in this introduction, 
clearly as the, the Son of God who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so in that, he reveals Jesus as the Word of God, the Messiah of God, the Son of God, and the Lamb of God. But now we're going to be introduced to these four other individuals who are going to become followers of Jesus. But John introduces us to them as they meet Jesus, as they are, if you would, introduced to Jesus. So we're kind of drawn into this account, kind of seeing how this thing plays out. And so what I'd like to do is to look at this, go through this passage, looking at each of these four individuals. The first one we meet is Andrew. And you note I have Andrew and then an ampersand, question marks. Because really, there were two disciples of John that we are told about. And that two disciples of John follow. But we're only given the name of one, and that is Andrew. There is a whole lot to, to probably show that the other one was John the author of this gospel, and that he has chosen to remain nameless. He refers to himself later on in the book as the one whom Jesus loves. Okay, And also in that passage where Jesus is talking to Peter about, do you love me? And he turns around and he sees the one whom Jesus loves and says, you know, what about him? And he says, it's not for you to know, you know, if I want him to be able to stay and see the kingdom. And so, and then that John writes, well, and he didn't really say that he would live forever, but da 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 But the reality is, so this other individual who's going nameless probably is John, okay? And so, so John chooses not to reflect upon himself, and so I'm carrying that out with some question marks, okay? And so what do we see first? First we see John the Immersers, or John the Baptist's comment, right? He merely makes... Re- makes the same comment that he's already made in, in the great public. He sees Jesus. We're not told how, what was playing out. They just happen to be standing there, and Jesus is kind of walking along. And he says, wow, hey, guys, look. It's the Lamb of God. And so, I don't know about you, but when's the last time someone made a comment like that and immediately got your attention, and you left what you were doing to go do something else? But that's what happened. Behold the Lamb of God. I don't know where Andrew and he who remains nameless was um, the first time they heard that and why it didn't impact them the same way the first time. But what we do know is it did impact them this point. There's a lot of conjecture of whether um, John's statement here was actually intentional to to cause this effect in them. But what we do know is that these guys became what? Curious. They followed them. And a lot of times, that's how we come to know Christ, or how many people come to know Christ. It begins as a curiosity. Why do they believe what they believe? Why are they willing to do all this for this guy? And so, the Lamb of God. Okay, this is the second time he said it. What does he mean by that? And so they began to follow Jesus. Not follow him like to be his disciples. Just kind of what? Checking him out. 
stalking him. Okay? They're kind of like, you know, you've seen the little things kind of like you know, the running from doorway to doorway. You know, they probably didn't have doorways. You know, just kind of like, where is he staying at? You know, what, what's he doing, you know? And so, but Jesus knows what? All things. And one of the comments I have in the introduction that I wanted to make is what we're going to see through each one of these encounters as well is the omniscience of Christ, which is very important, again, when we talk about the deity of Christ, because he's going to portray, if you would, these attributes of God. Only God is omniscient. But Jesus is kind of walking along. Now, I know we can dismiss this one, because there are times when you're walking along and you what? You have a sense that you're being followed or somebody's looking at you. Many, many years ago, when I started hunting, um, my mom and dad got me... um, I, I wanted a, uh, a coveralls, you know, like ther- thermo kind of, because I get cold. I'm a northerner who came south and became acclimated. And so even when it's, I should be sweating to death, I get frozen, right? So I wanted uh, this coveralls. Well, they got me coveralls. Orange. Solid orange. Bright solid orange. So that if anybody shot me, it would be murder. There's, you only got to have so much orange that you got to deal with when you go out in the woods, you know? The rest you want to be what? Camouflage. Man, it sounds like I had to get a camouflage vest to try to break up the orange. Anyways, so, so I went out in my, because it was a cold day, in my orange, okay? And I went up a tree. Um, I was along a, 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 um, a fire break. So I was in the middle opening, and I was about 30 feet up, okay? So I was way up. I have a good view of everything around, but I also was like at the top of a flagpole, a big orange flag at the top of a flagpole. Now, you got a picture, right? So I like to stay up the tree a little bit longer because I think guys leave early and they miss deer. But about 8.30 in the morning, there were these guys who were only going to hunt the, the, uh, the sunrise. They were leaving already. And I hear them from 10,000 miles away. And I'm hoping that they're going to what? Spook a deer, right? But as they come along up over the ridge, I'm watching them. I'm watching them come. Along their fire break, onto my fire break. I'm watching them. And they're just talking. You know, the whole conversation. I got it because they're not worrying about anything. And they're coming along. I'm in a bright orange suit. I'm a big flag on, on a pine tree. But right about there, the conversation stops. And I know it. I can't see him, but I know exactly what's happening at this moment. One of them, what? Felt himself being watched. And for some freak reason, he decided to look up, straight up. And he saw this big orange flag. (laughs) <laughs> this bulk sitting in the tree. And all of a sudden, I know it was happening because the other guy starts saying, what, what, what? You know, and the, so they come out the other side and the other guy's going like this. You know, and the second guy turns around and looks up and goes, oh, hi. <laughs> you just have a sense when you're being what? Watch. So we can kind of dismiss this a little bit. Jesus had a, a sense that he was being followed. He was being watched. And he turns around and he says to them, what do you want? 
What are you looking for? And they said, what? We want to know how to get to heaven. It's not what they said. What would you say? You're stalking a guy. Just checking him out. He turns around. He says, hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, picking green beans. What are you going to say? Uh, we were just interested to see where you're staying. What would you say? I mean, let's be honest. You got two guys following you. You think they're after your wallet. You say, what do you want? And they say, what? We just want to see where you're staying. What's your first reaction? It's not your business where I'm staying. Why do you want to know where I'm staying? Not Jesus. It's like we talked about in Sunday school, right? How God opens up opportunities. We just don't always what? See them. Jesus said, come on and see. You want to, you want to see where I'm staying? I don't know if that's really true or not. In my mind, I'm thinking that, right? But what? Come on. If you want to come along with me, then what? Come and see. Not just follow me, but come and see. See for yourself. These guys are curious. They want to know. And so Jesus said, come and experience it. Come and see it for yourself. And so they did. They went and followed him. And we're not told what the conversation was like. We know that they came about the what? The 10th hour. Does anybody know what the 10th hour is? Good. 4 p.m. Approximately 4 p.m. Jesus was on the cross from the, from the 6th hour to the ninth hour, from, from noon to 3. Okay? The 10th hour is about 4 p.m. in the afternoon. They stayed with him the rest of the, the day. And then the next day, okay? So John, when John is writing, sometimes you've got to kind of... This is a, a struggle point, especially as we're talking about Passover this week and all this kind of stuff. The Jewish calendar, Gregorian calendar, and that kind of stuff. So the Roman kind of day started differently than the jewish day okay and so john when he's writing he's bumping between calendars sometimes okay and you just got to kind of know that because he's writing to a, a jewish and a greek audience so the next day was literally the daytime day okay so the next day andrew so that means that they stayed there what all night with him probably had a fire that's what they did you know maybe cook some fish over the fire had some conversation maybe they sing kumbaya you know just joking. Anyways, but you know what I'm saying. Anyways, they're just kind of hanging out with Jesus. Wouldn't you love to know what they talked about? I do. I, I think of that a lot of times. Man, these guys had three years of hanging out by the fire with Jesus. Did they play phase 10? Were they wasting their time? And I don't mean playing games is a waste of time. I love playing games. Okay. But what did they talk about? What did they do? It was enough that by the next day, Andrew was convinced. And in his conviction, he immediately went to find his brother. How convinced are you? How convinced am I? Am I convinced enough that this is true and that this is real, that Jesus is who he is, says he is, that I am willing to risk losing my friends and family over. It's an interesting statement. Andrew went out, found Peter, Simon, Shimon, and he says to him, 
we have found the Messiah. Now, this is a huge statement. We have found the Messiah. There have been, we mentioned, I mentioned this earlier in one of the previous messages, there had been many false messiahs already by this point. You're Peter. What are you thinking? I don't know. Here's another one. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, if you're Andrew, you've seen enough of them. But now all of a sudden, you're what? You're convinced. So, Andrew goes out. That leads us to Peter. Now, this is amazing, then, as he finds Peter in Simon, and he brings Simon. Now, we're not necessarily told how this plays out. Verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon. Now, I, I didn't capitalize on this, and I want to state this before we get in, really get into Peter here. He what? First found. Chuck? Chuck, can you close that back door? It is swinging wildly. Um, he first found, so you can take this one of two ways, okay? I'm going to tell you the way I take it, okay? And that is, he went out and found others afterwards. He wasn't done after Peter. He first found, the first thing he did was he went and found Peter, and I think he went out and found others. Others say that this is really a reference to John finding James, that Andrew actually found Peter before John found James, and they both brought their brothers. I don't see that necessarily in the, con- in the context for me to um, declare that. What I read is, though, that this is the first thing he did, and that he went out and did more later. We'll talk about Philip and Andrew later on in this series, because when the, when the Gentiles want to meet Jesus, they go to Philip and Andrew. They were accessible to lead people to Jesus. It's really kind of interesting. When you think about all the disciples, it was Philip and Andrew who were the evangelists that, 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 that Jesus used. But we don't read a whole lot about them. They don't have a book by their name, you know, and so we don't think a whole lot about them. But God was using them. So, so then we get to Peter, right? And he, and he says to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ, verse 42, and he brought him, he brought him. No, you got to come. Come on, you got to see him. Meet this guy. Now, when Jesus looked at him, that is, Shimon, Simon, he says, you are Shimon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. A declaration of knowledge. Now, again, I'm making an assumption here, and I'm going to be honest. I'm making an assumption that the previous night that Andrew didn't tell Jesus his whole family tree. That's a possibility. I mean, I can see Jesus asking, so Andrew, you got any family? Got any brothers? What about your dad? What kind of work do you do? He'd already what? Know all the answers anyway. But if nothing else, Jesus was interested in people. I have a lot of work to do on that. And so the next day, here comes Peter. Does, from the perspective of man, from the perspective of man, does Jesus really know who that individual is? No. They've never met before. But with great emphasis and great conviction, this guy we call Jesus looks at this guy coming with Andrew and says what? So you're Shimon, the son of Jonah. You can almost picture Peter going, how did you know? 
But it's because Jesus, what? Again, knows not just everything. Think about this. He knows every individual. Do you know the names of the neighbors who live on the same block as you? There's too many. Uh, yeah, it's easy for you guys, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know about your block. Well, well I'll send your block all to Waynesboro, huh? Anyways, so, <laughs> that's right. You got 10 miles of people. Anyways, if you live in a normal little community. Um, anyways, do you know? You know what's kind of cool about that? God does. God does. And they may not even know your name. But guess what? God does. He knows exactly where we live. He knows exactly what we do. He knows how many freckles you have. And as Jesus said, he knows how many what? Hairs are on your head. It's an amazing thing. But then there was this, what is even more amazing thing to me, is this declaration of prophecy. Now, it's real short. Just very, very short. But you can see that later on, he's going to capitalize upon this. At the very beginning, the first time he meets, he, met, he meets Shimon, he says, you are Shimon, the son of Jonah, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated a rock. Later on, Jesus, when they were up at um, Caesarea Philippi, um, Jesus makes this comment to them. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Shimon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What, what, what is he talking about? Does anybody remember? What was revealed to him? Anybody remember the context? Good, good. He'd, he'd asked, who do the people say that I am? They said, well, some think you're Elijah, some think you're this, some think you're that, some think you're a good teacher, some think you're a prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Shimon, Barjona, right, blurts out, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter. This is really cool. Because this goes all the way back to the first time he met him. Before Shimon bar Yonah was a real follower. Now, what I failed to mention, and I meant to mention again in my introduction, is the setting. The setting is very important right here. Because we're going to see it as we go into Philip in just a moment. He desired to exit and to go into Galilee. He's not in Galilee at this moment. They're not at the Sea of Galilee. They're down at the Jordan River where John was a baptizing, right? And so John's baptizing down at the Jordan River. That's where Jesus went to be baptized. And for some reason, that's where all these fishermen are at. Whether they had gone to Jerusalem to sell their fish, whether they heard about the ministry of John and they were going down to be baptized by John, we're not told why they're there, but we're told that's where they're at. Where were they when Jesus saw them and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? They were on the Sea of Galilee. So they had gone back home and gone about their normal business. And Jesus refound them, if you would, 
And then at that moment, called them to the discipleship apostolic ministry, if you would. At this point, it's not happening. This is kind of cold for me. Because this is the first time he sees this guy. So put yourself in Shimon's place. Now, Shimon, the Hebrew name Shimon, is, is a derivative of Shema. Shema means what? To hear. Some have conjectured that, um, that Peter, being as boisterous as he was and that kind of stuff, potentially was also um, would kind of go with the, the, the waves of the sea with, with um, things that were being stated, that, he, that what he heard he kind of flew with and he became emphatic and zealous for everything. I don't know, but it's kind of an interesting thought process. But Jesus turns around and says, you're Shimon. You're the one who's just, everything's about what you hear. But I'm going to turn you into a rock. And a rock is what? Unmovable. You're going to be the rock. And look what he says then. This is later now, okay? So this is years later after he's now called him into this apostolic ministry. Peter's kind of hanging out with him. And he's really starting to get a grip on who this guy is that he's with. And he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I know there's a whole lot of believers like on our stripe who are afraid of this passage, and are afraid to declare that he's talking to Peter, because the Roman Catholic Church uses this to prove that Peter is the first pope. He's not the first pope. That has nothing to do with the papacy. But it does have everything to do with the plan of God. And he was calling this fisherman to be a key person in his plan in establishing his church. Don't flee from that because you're worried about people who abuse it. How did this guy get to this position where Jesus was even going to speak a prophecy, if you would, over him and then fulfill it? Because his brother went and told him. His brother went and told him. If his brother didn't have the guts to go tell him, I know how many angels can dance on the head of the pin and we're doing conjecture here. But think about this. It's part of the plan of God. God used Andrew to call Shimon, his brother, who became Peter, in order that Peter then would be the one who would be the rock of the church. Who was it that testified to the gospel being spread in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the othermost part of the world? Who was the individual that God used to testify to that? Peter. It was Peter who proclaimed on Pentecost. And the people said, what must we do to be saved? It was Peter who responded. It was Peter who was sent then to Samaria to see what was going on when Philip, the deacon, not the uh, apostle, was there and, and everybody was receiving the gospel it was Peter and John who were sent along with other than Jewish elders 
to see what was going on. But it was Peter who was the spokesperson who declared that truly the gospel was being opened up to the Samaritans. Who was it, Peter, who was sent to Cornelius? Being in the way God moved him, he just happened to, to be in Joppa, right? But he got there because he was someplace else close by, and, and, and the brethren there called him over. And while he was there, then the angel came to Cornelius and said, Send to Joppa at the house of Shimon the Tanner for one who's called Shimon, who's called, also called Peter, and have him come here so he can tell you what you need to hear, right? And Shimon, who was also called Peter, says, man, I mean, Lord, don't make me eat something that I, I mean, this is like unclean. And God's telling him, don't call unclean what I call clean, you know. And so at that very moment, the unclean people are coming to the door saying, you know, you need to come visit some unclean people. And, And Peter says, oh, I guess I need to go. And so he goes and wow, boom, there it is. And so you are the rock. How cool is that? Before Peter ever became his follower, Jesus told him what he was going to do. Or better put, Jesus told him what he was going to do through Peter's life. When I was first saved, I felt God calling me to draw people to the revival, specifically men. And it's been pretty cool for me to look back over the last 30-something years and to realize how many avenues God has opened up for me to work with men in a revival type of ministry. I'm not an evangelist. I want to be. But I'm not. I mean, I feel like I can put out some of the great arguments. And people still look at me like, I don't get it. Whatever. But the opportunities. And I'm not a counselor. So I disciple. And it's been fun to watch some marriages be restored, be revived. God's got a purpose for you. If he called you, it's for a reason. I think there's a lot of people who aren't fulfilling the purpose. Who are wanting to live their own life. Rather than that which God had called them to do. But God has got a purpose. And so he places in the body those he desires for the reason he desires. So Peter, the conversation that he has with Peter is a little bit different than the conversation he had with with Andrew. But now we're told that, verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted, desired, and it says to go to Galilee. And so in the Greek, literally it is that he desired to exit to go to Galilee. So he was leaving a region to go to another region. So the idea is he was getting ready to leave the Judean region to head into the Galilean region. That's, that's night and day, or should I say, from the Jewish perspective, that would be light and darkness. Okay, That's why when you read in the prophecies that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they refer to it as the Galilee of the the Gentiles. You get, so, so he is moving from pure Jewish place. And he's going to be moving into this shadowy place. But it happens to be the place where, coincidentally, that Andrew and Peter and Philip 
not to mention James and John, but James, John wants to be nameless, all happened to what? Live. How coincidental was that? That he met these guys, not on the Sea of Galilee, not in Bethsaida, but he happened, just happened, to meet them along the Jordan River. Our God is a God of great coincidences from a human perspective, isn't it? Yeah. How cool is it how God weaves the tapestry of life? And God brought us to Augusta, Georgia, used bringing me together with her and da 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 to Augusta, Georgia in order for us to get saved. And that's another story that goes even longer. It's just amazing to me. As I look back, being in the way, God moved me. So, coincidentally, he meets these guys, right? But now he's deciding what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to Galilee. So he goes to Galilee. Now this isn't working. There we go. Thanks. And so what is fun, though, before he goes, he's going to go to Galilee. But before he goes, he makes a point to find Philip. Now, note, this is the first time we read of Jesus specifically going out to find somebody. Andrew just happens to hear. He goes to tell to Peter, brings Peter. But now all of a sudden, Jesus knows what? There's somebody else here that's ultimately going to be added to the group. And so he goes out, and literally, the word is eureka, is the Greek word. You know, like when you say, eureka, I found it. That's what he was, Uresco, to find, to find Philip, right? So, um, he found Philip and said to him, what? Follow me. The invitation of Jesus has never, ever changed. Do you get it? Now, we can look at Philip here and we can say, well, that was kind of special. But let me ask a question. How many people does God want to get saved? All of them. God desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of truth. Whose job is it to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment? The Holy Spirit's. So far, I haven't entered the picture yet, have I? Not at all. But what does he do? He uses man as one of the means to draw. So Romans 10 was my quiet time this morning, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he uses a preacher. He sends a preacher in order to proclaim the message so somebody can hear it and they can turn to him. Have any of you ever read... The gospel off the back of a chick track or off the back of a, a, a tract. I threw chicken there for a reason. Right? I didn't mean to, but it was there. okay. Did you get saved then? I did. That's how I got saved. I didn't get saved by somebody coming to me. I happened to be in that Lutheran church, standing in the back as an usher. Now, I say get saved. I don't know. I, there's sometimes I, I go back to this, okay? And somebody threw a chick track. In the little track rack. I mean, usually they were like about marijuana, don't smoke marijuana, and all that kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. I read that thing, and I got convicted, man. I didn't want to be like Johnny. This is your life, if you guys know chick tracks. This is your life. I didn't want that. And so I said the prayer off the back of it. Now, if I get to heaven, I find out that I was saved when I was a teenager. That's great. Now, I know that it was 
through studying with Woody and Della that I, when I really gave my heart to the Lord when I was 23 years old, and life just changed. But my point is, you could pick up a tract. You could pick up a Gideon New Testament, and you read God's word, and what? The truth will set you free. Do you get it? God desires all men to be saved, and he will use various modes to draw, because it's ultimately he who is drawing. So he goes out and he finds Philip, and he says to him, what? Follow me. Again, the challenge has never changed. So ask the question to yourself. Have you? Have you followed? Has it changed your life at all? Has it changed the way you operate? Or do you just do a social club on Sunday morning? Instead of going to the Elks on Tuesday, you go to the church on Sunday. Instead of going to the Kiwanis on Friday, you go to the church on Sunday. If it's really the case, then you're not following him. You're following a cultural norm. And that doesn't get you to heaven. Philip then did what Jesus did. How cool is this? Jesus found Philip, said, follow me. Philip said, I'll do that. And then he turned around and did what? Went out and found his friend, Nathaniel. And he goes out, verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him who the Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? Nathaniel's reaction. What was it? Can anything good come out of that? Oh, come on, Philip, dude. I mean, if you're going to pick, tell me you found a Messiah, at least tell me he came from Bethlehem. Nazareth? Dude, that is like the worst of the worst. I mean, we're talking about the south side of the Galilean region, okay? I mean, it's right on the precipice of a hill. I mean, they're going to throw the garbage off it. And, that, and it really, I mean, that's all true. And so he's from Nazareth? And you want me to follow him. I love Philip's reaction. Or response. Come and see. Have you heard that before? Who do you think he learned it from? Now, I'm not saying he heard it from Jesus, but apparently, you know, this is kind of going on, right? It works. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Steve. 100%. You doubt it. What are you willing to risk? Are you really, are you really, if, if it's true, if this is really true, are you willing to accept it and change? Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. I got to move on. Nathaniel, the reception of Jesus. Jesus, he comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him right off the bat, behold, an Israelite in him, in whom is no guile. Okay. No deceit. Truly. Okay. And so some people say that's relating back to Jacob, but he's making a statement here. I don't think so. I think it relates to his omniscience. He knew exactly what Nathaniel said when Philip went and told him about it. <laughs> Nathaniel was just being honest. You know, he wasn't being... Dis- <laughs> really? Nazareth? But he what? But he followed Philip to come check it out. He came and saw. 
That's exactly right. And the first thing Jesus told him is what? Behold! <laughs> but look at yourself. An Israelite in whom is, no, whom is no guile. And he says, well, how did you know? He says, before Philip called you, I saw you. Nathaniel knew at that moment there is nobody around. He couldn't have visually seen him. In order for him to know that he was under the fig tree, this guy had to be what? All-knowing. And so Nathaniel cries out, You are the king of Israel. Jesus then responds with two revelations. First of all, you will see greater things than these. And secondly, you're going to see heaven opened up with the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That goes back to Jacob. And you have the, the reference there in Genesis 28, where Jacob comes to Bethel, which he refers to it as Bethel, the house of God. And he has the dream where there's a stairway leading to heaven and angels are ascending and descending. And Jesus is basically saying, I am the what? I'm the stairway. I'm the pathway for you to get to heaven. You will see messengers coming back and forth on me, through me, by me, because of me. And only those who really want to come into the presence of God, they got to come what? By me. Led Zeppelin sang a song years ago, right? There's a lady who's sure all the glitters is gold and she's what? Come on, you guys. Some of you know it. She's buying a stairway to heaven. You can't buy it. Jesus offers it freely. He is the stairway to heaven. It's not money. It's a relationship. So, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Have you come to Jesus and accepted him as your as your Savior? Have you told others about him? One thing we see as we come through these four guys, these four encounters, is they were quick to want to tell other people. And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Now, this is an exciting passage to go through, as well as we consider, again, for me, what, what today is. As the convergence of the Hebrew calendar and the Gregorian calendar are coming together, that we're celebrating Palm Sunday. But the Hebrew calendar, is this is the 10th day of Nisan, and so this is the day, um, or Gregorian calendar, 10th day of Nisan, where they would be ex- um, choosing the Passover lamb. But on the Hebrew calendar, this is the 14th day of Nisan, which is Passover itself. Passover meal is eaten at the beginning of the 15th day, but this is the Passover day, day of Passover, when they would slaughter the lamb at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And so as we go through this passage and we, we consider what all, um, there we go, what all is going on in this passage, to me it's a reminder, today's a reminder of what all this is about that we're talking about. He came for a reason. He came for a purpose. He's introducing himself to people for a reason and for a purpose. And that's what we're celebrating today and through this next week coming up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are God most high. You alone are the Holy One. There is no God but you. And I'm grateful that it is your plan to call us to yourself. That's not ours. 
and that you have done that, that you have called us to yourself for your purpose and for your glory. Lord, help us to be bold in you to open up our mouths to declare you to others to whom we meet. In Jesus' name, amen.